0: You, know, you if if you came at me now, I've got a second to uh, work out what's going to happen. And straight away, I'm going to either just be careful how things go, or max out, you yeah. know, with ultimate violence, or just swing someone around, or you know, push. And can I ask you
1: what what ultimate violence is?
0: Damage to the head and neck.
1: Okay. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Criminals. My name's Matt Price, and I had a few questions about crime and criminals that I wanted answering. This podcast is the answer to those questions. Of course, I I say that quite casually, but up until a few years ago, I never spoke to anyone on the wrong side of the law. So this podcast is also my journey. Today's guest is called John Gould, he's from Exeter, and the guy who put me in contact with him said to me, John Gould is the real deal. Everything that he says he's done, he has actually done. He's in the middle of writing a book, he very kindly invited me to his house, and we spoke about all sorts of things, from him disarming a gunman, to him beating up a heroin dealer in jail with the help of a prison officer, and a high-profile court case that involved an acid attack and an axe. This is a truly extraordinary conversation. This is John Gould. Well the, the first thing the first thing I'm gonna ask you, how would you describe your profession?
0: I'm a husband and a father and I do photography to earn money. I maintain a couple of websites for people. I used to do a lot of bailiff work, illegal and legal. We pay them all we're we got an easy life and it is as it is really. You know? Okay. I don't have to go out and own A shed load of money every week to keep us going. My wife works full-time. She's a chef. She's brilliant. So, I mean, I haven't got a profession as such like I used to. And I've had to wind things down because the police are getting dirtier and cleverer with technology and stuff. So, That's interesting. So,
1: can you take me back to your previous profession then and what, because you say about being an illegal bailiff, Mm. that sounds like... uh, Sounds like an inter- interesting and inventive
0: yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, that was a lot of it, majority was f- for drug dealers who we were owed thousands of pounds from people. So, I mean, people know of me and know the name, and you get phone calls, go and meet people. Once I suss them out, or oh, I've known of them for a while, I go out and find, make sure that actually they say they're owed 10 grand. I'll make sure they are owed 10 grand because some people might take the piss. Oh, he's a wanker. He's got lots of money. I'm going to tax him, but I'll get this bloke to do it. So I'll make sure that he really is owed money, and it's not someone ripping someone else off. Okay. How, how do you find
1: that out then? I guess well,
0: just t- do background work, and check some people who know people, and ensure that guys are either truthful and straight and honest. And, you know, or he's an asshole. Yeah. But you know, there are means and ways of finding stuff out. It doesn't take much to sort of establish. Uh, he's a dodgy geezer, stay away with him, he ain't got a pot to piss in, he's probably ripping him off, or if he, someone can prove to me that in some form or another that, yeah, well I did let him have this, and he didn't pay me, and he owes me X amount, you know, there are ways and means, and this historical ways people can prove they've been working with somebody and the old money,
1: okay. so I'd,
0: I'd always sort that out.
1: I'm just wondering about, because you make it sound quite straightforward, if that if that's your job and your way of life, mm. is it straightforward?
0: Do you get it's better just, at it? It's, just, it's straightforward as I make it, really. I mean, I always say to, them, I'm a bastard, but I'm an honest bastard. What she's, what you get, and um, I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm pretty truthful with stuff. Unless I, if I talk to the police, things are different. Police can be liars, untruthful. You know, I've had that in me time enough times. Okay.
1: Well, I'm going to get back to your relationship with with the police, yeah. if, if I may, yeah. at some point. So if so if uh, If you you have to go and and get money back from someone who owes a drug dealer money, what's the technique? Do you go alone? Or or would you have gone alone?
0: I I go on my own because I haven't got to worry about someone else. If something goes wrong, I can fend for myself. I've got to worry about someone else. If the police pull us, you've got to think, you know, if someone slips up and says something they shouldn't, it's just easier. It's always easier on my own. And I know what to do. I've hidden in bushes for over five hours. You know, doing things, and, right. and it's easy doing it on your own. You know,
1: because cause the first thing that I that <clears throat> springs to mind then is I'm trying to put myself in your shoes because I, I, I that would just frighten the life out of me.
0: Hmm.
1: Were you ever afraid?
0: Oh yeah, of course,
1: yeah. And yet you still did it, and, and that's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's a, to me, evidence about principle. If someone owes someone money, and I've established that, um, you know, I, I go there and I lay it out as it is. And, I, you know, I weigh someone out. I, I treat everyone the same. If it's a big bloke who looks nasty or a little bloke who looks like an ice cream man, I'm going to treat them both the same. Right. Because in my eyes, you don't underestimate anybody. A, a little man could do as much damage as a big man. Yeah. So, and if it goes off, you know, you, if, if you came at me now, I've got a second to uh, work out what's going to happen. And straight away, I'm going to either just be careful how things go or max it out. Yeah. You know, with ultimate violence or just swing someone around or, you know, push.
1: And can I ask you what what ultimate violence is?
0: Damage to the head and neck. Okay. That's what's going to put you down, you know. Yeah, okay. That's the ultimate. Simple will be push, shove, punching in the guts, in you know, the solar plexus.
1: You told me about taking on some guys who had chainsaws and you had a hammer. Yeah. Can you tell me about yeah. that?
0: I had a call about half past two, quarter three in the morning. Um, some friends of mine have been chased around the city by blokes in an escort van. They sort of knew them. And he said they got fucking bats, um, baseball bats with spikes on them, nails in and a chainsaw. So there's three of them in a van chasing three of us in a car. And I said, you know, why aren't you handling this yourself? Because a bloke who rung me, can handle himself. I don't think he'd, he'd the ball. So um, there ain't many people... It will take a chainsaw to another person, so anyway, but I grab a hammer because I'll use that if I've got to, yeah, and if someone's got a chainsaw, my top and I've got a confrontation, my top will come off right and use it as a lasso that will, for us for a split second, you can have a lasso, a chainsaw and it'll take it away to the ground, or if hopefully it will chew it up enough that it'll almost stop, and then I can get in close to you and then right. so I'm not too bored about that as such. Or I stand ten foot away from you and just throw the hammer at you. you Oh, that yeah. So
1: that that makes sense.
0: Poundland used to sell these hammers, a a bit smaller than a standard hammer. I used to have like a beyond the car seat. I used to have about six or seven of them all the time because. They were good for throwing up people. <laughs> they were cheap. Yeah. Uh, throwing one pound hammers yeah. at people. Yeah, I suppose if you had a really, yeah. like,
1: an expensive hammer, yeah. it's costing you money. Then yeah. you're going to throw away your profits. But also, the,
0: the good technique was to throw it in front of your feet because it would bounce up.
1: Okay. Because right. people
0: expect you to throw it at them straight. Yeah. But no, I throw it on the floor, and, it, and we've done it too many times. So it it's the floor comes up <laughs> how quickly
1: up. does your reputation get around then you know because if you're prepared mm-hmm. to go to those kind of lengths although it i mean it seems fairly reasonable so you know if someone's phoned you can you come and help me out mm. and you you've got to take a course of action but how quickly then does your reputation build as someone who's not to be messed with
0: i didn't realize how big my reputation was f- for many years because i just usually think of myself as an average dude right but okay. i mean over the years it's just obviously got pretty big you know and I still think of myself as an average bloke because I think anybody can dish out violence if they have to. I just used to dish it out a lot, you know? Yeah,
1: it's interesting because one of the first things we said when we started talking was that, you know, that we've all got it in us to yeah. one degree or another. Yeah. Have, have you seen sort of what, like mellow on it? Although actually you're quite mellow and unassuming yourself. Yeah. You know, first yeah. impressions, why wouldn't you? But, you know, yeah. you invite to into your house, as I said, it's lovely, you know, and But have have you seen sort of mellow looking individuals suddenly just lose
0: it? Yeah, to a degree, you know, not always somebody I know, but I mean, I've been up in London doing things with people and you see, you know, an unassuming character, you know, all of a sudden, four blocks are laying on the floor. Yeah. And then he's just dusting down and walking away. I'm, I can't sort of say him. I can think of any names, but
1: yeah. yeah, people are like that, you know. So we've all got it. It's even yeah. yeah, even me.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, if you were cornered and your life's on the line, or your your wife, girlfriend's life's you know uh, health and safety's in jeopardy, you know, you know, you'll know when it you the shit's about to the fan for real. You'll know, yeah. and you'll feel it in your gut. And when I've been in bad situations with these, yeah. you know. You almost got to take a shit, right? Fight or flight, you know. Yeah. And as soon as that feeling for having a crap comes in, it's gone just as quick. But that's when you know you haven't always you haven't got to be hundred percent street rice, But you know when your safety's in jeopardy. Yeah, you know, unless you're pissed, then you might not pick it up so quick. Well, you
1: know? no, I think alcohol's a ma- makes a makes a hero out of quite a few people, doesn't it? Without without meaning it. Mm. Can you tell me about the? Um, The Arabian Gulf shootout.
0: (laughs) Please. Uh, uh, um, Yeah, I I don't want to go into too much detail because I work for a company um, in the Middle East um, doing armed security. Okay. And to get that job, um, I mean, I've got qualified, genuine qualifications for it. I'm not the firearms company certificate, but I was meant to have, to to do the job I was doing, I was meant to be like high-grade military, which I'm not. Yeah, So I told a few lies. I mean, the police, when they found out what I was doing, they went hell and leather to try and find out who I was working for. I mean, I don't know what they thought. They knew I was doing armed security, but they didn't like it. Right. But I was out working in the Middle East. There's nothing they could do about it. And and what it was, we were approached by, I suppose, people with weapons and a, a shootout ensued. But it was... Yeah, I don't want to say too much no, about that. That's really, right. No, no, so, absolutely but, fine.
1: It's I mean, just...
0: it was a very, very, very hairy moment, you know, over three rounds coming in, and it's very noisy, very scary. It's. I mean, I'm I'm lucky that I'm calm under high pressure situations, which has always proved, yeah. you know, useful. So I don't. Th- not everyone can be calm when you're, you know, in a very sort of high threat situation. Yeah. But I'm fortunate I can be calm and level-headed.
1: One thing uh, you've uh, mentioned as well, um, that you were uh, asked to murder a woman's mm. husband and mm. someone else uh, said, can you murder my boyfriend? I'm guessing that once you have a reputation, do mm. does that happen quite a lot? Do people no, say, it, can it, you it, sort <laughs> this out for oh me? Oh,
0: yeah, I, I get a lot of that. But you know, when this woman asked me to murder her, it was a long-term partner. I don't know if they were married or not. She asked me to murder him. So I obviously asked lots of questions how serious she was. You know, and there are ways to find out if she was serious. And she was deadly serious. I mean, I was not up for that at all. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And actually, you know, I found out the bloke wasn't half bad. He had a bit of a reputation as a a fighter and a wife beater. But um, but she, I found out, was the right bitch. And, you know, one thing I don't do is get involved in domestics. You know, I, I did years ago in High Street, some bloke was... Punching the shit out of his wife. So I stopped him banged him. He dropped on the floor for five seconds. She's then on my back attacking me. Um, I was about 19 at a time. And that was the first and last time I have got involved with domestics, you know. But when this woman approached me to murder her husband, I went to speak to her to find out how serious she was, what was involved. And, um, you know, no, nah, I wasn't interested in that. No, no would Would you talk her out of it? Because it's quite a thing to Um do. No, I wasn't interested, I, you know, I don't know any mother, how many other people she could approach her, that sort of thing. Well, yeah. Certainly I wasn't interested, and I don't know, I mean, the, the thing is, he, he died in suspicious circumstances seven or eight years after, right, in a fall from a bridge, and I always thought, Jesus Christ, when I heard that, yeah, of was course. it, or wasn't it, you know? Well, yeah, because, yeah, I can imagine that is, that would mm. be, that would be
1: creep anybody mm. out wouldn't it i can imagine it's definitely
0: suspicious yes you know? of course
1: can you tell me about disarming the gunman in stoke hill
0: well, right out here at some council flats and the kids are small it was a summer evening they're out there playing football and they're out for 30 minutes and they, my son comes in and with daughter and some friends oh there's a man out there he's shouting at us and threatening us oh yeah my son shouts. he threatened to shoot us what so I said, go back out and play and I'd got to the bathroom window and stick my head out. And they're at the play and within a minute or two he could reaches out the window Fuck off you little rat bags and he's waving something black that looks like a shit pistol. I oh, thought shit. And I thought, I'm gonna let the police deal with it. So I don't think it's only about the second time I've ever rung the police for something. So we rung the police and I told him who I was and what was going on. Yeah. Just seeing the guy threaten to shoot some kids. Out of the window. So I thought the armed um, response would be up here in no time. Half an hour later. Nothing. So um, I sent the kids back out. To play football. He's doing it again. I roamed the police. Again from my landline. Said what's going on. They weren't interested. So I get my police scanner out. And I stop listening. And they say about the second call from Stoke Hill. Reference a gunman. And then it says, oh, yeah, the caller, me, is known to the, to the police. Take it with a pinch of salt, what he's telling us. There's probably nothing in it. He's probably winding us up. So I couldn't believe it. So I went to the phone box again this time and said, I'm going to hurt this bloke if you don't come up here right now. So I gave it a third wait and a go. Nothing come up. So I sent my kids out for the third time. He's out there waving a gun around. I'm up in the flat, up the stairs, banging on his front door. Comes out, I said. Uh, what's that you're waving at my kids? And he had one arm behind his back. So I, as he pulls it out, just aimed it at me. I grabbed it. You, you can disarm people easy enough with a pistol. So I grabbed it, turned it back against him, sort of breaking a finger. He screamed. He released it. I bashed him on the head with it. I then steamed in. I mean, I give my hide in. Not a bow but knocked a few teeth out. Of him. He went to sleep for a few minutes, you know, yeah, so then I come in, I showed the pistol to my wife. It was um sort of replica handgun, oh, okay. maybe a starting pistol or something, but the kids didn't know that I didn't know that first of all, well, no, of cheeky was taking liberties, yeah, anyway, no police show showing up, and I'm furious, so I go to the phone box and I put a lemon sherbet in my mouth, so I'm talking like this like I was in teeth knocked out, right. and I make up a name, and I say, uh." The, my neighbour in number 14, John Gould, he's just come into my flat. He took my gun off me and he's bashed me over there, but he's knocked all my teeth out. I'm bleeding. He's going to hurt me. You said then the police, you know, saying, what sort, what sort of gun was it? Well, I, I was waving at his kids, but that's not the point. He just viciously assaulted me. He's, he's going to get me again. He's coming back up. Please hurry, hurry. He's coming. He's going to hurt me. He's going to kill me. I put the phone down, and I then come back in. I could hear police sirens all over the shop. They were coming for me. Within minutes, three cop cars, four cop cars, armed police, came here, came into my house, armed police. Get out on the floor. You fuck off. I had a standoff with him right here in the hallway. I said, you know, I I explained what had gone on. You come up. Now you think that bloke's been battered? Yeah. I said, how about coming up here for the weapon? You know, when you had a phone call, they soon realised I made a big boo-boo. But in that time, the guy had actually done a runner from there. And during the course of the evening, I had some senior police officers come up, inspectors and all sorts, trying to be apologetic. We realised we'd made a bit of a balls up here. Well, we yeah. should have we should have come up in the first distance, instance. And this officer, inspector, said to me, oh, we had a very serious incident in Tiverton come up. I said, no, you didn't. I said, because I was listening to it on a scanner. It was it was a threat to kill a uh, domestic. That's all that went on there. And he was like shocked at how I knew. Yeah. But he knew I was listening on a scanner. I said, that's bullshit. You should have come up here and you you messed up. Anyway, they were very apologetic. they t- gone away. Um, and then every two hours for three days or five days after the event, this is during the night, every couple of hours, Police were coming up to that flat, knocking on the door. Eventually, after five days, they burst in and discovered mate had done a runner. And that was the end of it, you know.
1: How important is it, because you said about listening on the scanner, how important was it at the <clears throat> time for you to know what the police were doing? Was <clears throat> that just part of everyday life for you?
0: It was at the time. It was, it was fun to listen to. But that on that evening, I wanted to know what was going on. Once I realised they weren't going to come and respond, shit, I'll I'll listen in, see what they're doing. And then, like I said, oh, he's known to us. Take what he says with a pinch of salt. I thought, you bastards. If it happened today, you get the chopper above you and you got armed police here in no time, you know?
1: I can't imagine what that must have been like. Yes,
0: it's it's totally unfair. Totally unfair. And they did, they made a cock up there.
1: Now Here's what I find interesting as well. That in circumstances, you have to be... Ruthless in your approach, and you have to be violent in order to survive, and that's mm. that's part of the job. But I also <clears> know <throat> that you were in prison, and um, and you described it as the babysitting years, oh, yeah. n- looking after you know yeah. vulnerable prisoners. Yeah. Um, how did that come about?
0: Well, obviously I've got a reputation in there and that here, and um, I was lucky enough. The little places overcrowded, I think the officers respected me enough to let me have a cell on my own. Okay. And then it started off one night like. About one in the morning, my door opens up, and it's like officer, and, and there's a couple of officers, officers and a prisoner. I thought, shit, what's going on? And it was a little weaselly little guy, older than I, I, mean, I was only early thirties at the time, and he was, you know, probably late forties. And it, what it was, he was very infirm, suicidal, you know, depressed, and they put him in with me. And they said at the time, well, oh, we've only got, you've got another cells or something, but I couldn't work out where he'd come from but he was suicidal and depressed and obviously they i didn't know at the time but they looked they were looking up to me to look after him nurture him and that sort of thing and then that happened when he was with me for a few weeks and was then released and then it happened again and again and an officer spoke to me officer i knew, I knew and he said oh yeah uh, we respect you enough and know what you're like your reputations is bullshit really you quite a sort of nice chap and so uh we respect that you can help these guys. I mean, there's one time it happened this big, tall would come coming, skinny bloke, ginger red, and he had all like burns or friction burns and scabs around his neck. The officer said to me, Trying to kill himself. The officer's talking to us, we trying to miss, mess the cup of tea and went. And then I said, What happened? He went, Oh, I was in a cell, it was stinking, it was dirty, it was damp, and that. I didn't want to be on my own, so I pretended to commit, try to kill myself, so they put me somewhere else. And I thought you've definitely had a go at it. But anyway, you know, I was up most of the night talking with him and not, just trying to treat him like a nice guy and just again nurturing him and showing him some compassion. Mm-hmm. And sadly, um, he did kill himself months and months later. So yeah, but yeah, it's nice to know that I was uh, looked upon in that sort of manner. I you know. I found solace in that. It was nice.
1: That's that. Yeah, that that's interesting mm. to hear. And and how, how important is is respect whilst you're in prison? Yeah. I mean, is, is that yeah.
0: important? Being respected. Um, only in, in, the re, in the way that you don't get pissed taking out of. But I mean, I I respect anybody and everybody. You know, I, I treat others how I wish to be treated.
1: Which I can't argue with. That yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, that that seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah. But then that of course that also makes. Well, some of the things you've had to do kind of that much more interesting in a way as well, yeah. because it, you know, you're very matter of fact about it. Mm. I would like to ask you um, about, yeah, the, what prison, the prison heroin dealer.
0: Oh, yeah. There's um this little Ron, he, you know, he says he's stockish, but short. And um he had all the best stuff in his cell, best f- trainers, which is important to some people. And. A uh, nice stereo. And he obviously had money because he had all nice things in his cell, food and stuff. And I didn't like him because he was selling fucking heroin and running around the cell. He's up his ass. The officers knew that but couldn't do a lot about it. Why and that,
1: can't they do anything about it?
0: Well, at that time, they had no way of um, knowing if people have got it. Did they got an x-ray machine that you sit ah, on? Okay. But then they had no means of finding out and confirming. I, mean, I didn't like it anyway, and he was a bully. I seen him slap people around, they we were obviously late paying him. And then there was this big dopey guy one Saturday afternoon. I never met him before, but I remember him because he was so big big unit. And he had these big size 12 or 13 brand new, like Nike trainers, expensive. And people like to have those sort of nice things in, inside brand clothing and shoes. And I noticed him because they were big and white, and he was a big bloke. This heroin dealer was talking to him about something and kept looking at his shoes but I didn't pay any attention back then and I remember the guy kicked the chair away from me when the big guy went to sit down. Well, later that evening I saw the big guy with standard prison trainers on. Cheap rubbish, you know? Yeah. And then the next morning I saw the drug deal with these fancy brand new trainers and I thought, shit! And I just smelled a rat. So I saw the big guy a bit later on. It was on a Sunday. I said, Hey, what happened to your training shoes? Oh, nothing. I said, what happened to your shoes? Oh, he's looking around. See that bloke over there? I said, yeah, he's got the money. Yeah, he took them off me. I said, what? He took them off me. I said, well, why didn't you stop him? Oh, I'm not a fighter. I said, Jesus Christ, man, that's 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 bad. Has no one done anything about it? Oh, no one's willing to help. The officers won't do nothing. You know, I can't prove it. And I hated that, you know, bullying. So, it, and it really got to me bad, you know. I was wound up. I, I was a bit outspoken and almost like I was shouting a little bit, just in fury. And one officer said to me, he'd obviously been watching this talk. He said, What's the matter? So I said to him, Whatever the guy's name was, the heron deal, I said, Me has taxed so and so on that sea landing for his trainers, stole his trainers off him. I said, The bastards, I, I want to give it to him. He said, Well, we fucking hate that bloke. He's always heroin We know what he's up to, but we can't prove it. First chance I get, I'll give him a slap and get his trainers back. And the officer sort of nodded, and I was on the landing downstairs, say on C one, whatever it's called. Well, this heroin dealer was on the opposite side, right. so they let them out first to put the dinner trays out. Anyway, my door opened. This officer lent and said, "Go and do it. Be quick." So I knew what he meant. He let me out to go and sort matey out with the shoe, pinch the shoes. So I went in his cell. He was looking at me and I looked down at his shoes. Bang. I fucking hammered him. I battered him really bad. Took his shoes off him. Went back to my cell. Shut the door. Give it 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Alarms going off. You can hear footsteps, all, all his screws running down. Matey was badly hurt and in a mess and he was taken off to the hospital and we all got opened a bit later that day because of the incident yeah. and if this officer opened my door he came in sort of almost giggling he went fucking you know, hell he said you did a good job there i said where are you he said, he's at the RD&E in the hospital being fixed up i said well there's the trainers. given back to me you lost them and the officer took the trainers off me and gave them back to the big bloke and then that Nighttime, we were open for association for a little while and there he was wearing his shoes back and i thought yeah that's how it should be
1: i've got to ask you about knocking out a pimp in las vegas oh. is, <laughs> it
0: just made me laugh and i read it um i went to las vegas for like um like i say a sort of stag week week with my friends only two of us a good friend of mine and whilst we were out there you go in one hotel or you know find a nice bar I, don't, I I don't drink, but I had a little few drinks over there. I was in one hotel, so I crossed over through this big walkway and got on this moving elevator to join another hotel and I got to the bar and there's this attractive black wood girl there, and very you know very pretty and dressed up nice and I was at the bar and this girl was talking and being very flirty with me, and just talking about all sorts of stuff. And she obviously made it aware she obviously wanted something, you know, off of me. And I was a bit oblivious to it, first of all. And she saw, she's dropping hints that she wants to drink and that I can obviously take her back to my room if I wanted. She was telling me things and to hint at it. Anyway, this black bloke comes up to me, and he was fancy dressed, plenty of gold on, and he said, he said something like, oh, man, what are you fucking doing? I said, what, what? Are you going to shag her or not? and I said no 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 he went you're wasting my fucking time I said what are you on about I said I'm lighting my hands up what are you on about he said I want hundred dollars off you he said you're wasting my time Anyway, he got right on my face and if you come in my zone course, if yeah. I come in your zone you expect something yeah. so he came in my zone demanding money and I just bang just knocked him right out <coughs> and he dropped where he was you know and I thought yeah fuck you you know trying to intimidate people yeah and I mean the Places full of prostitutes and pimps and all sorts, you know, but it was a lovely week there.
1: Did the police tell that <laughs> at that point? <laughs> No,
0: no, I expected it because there's security everywhere and and places cameraed up, but I, all I ever thought was the fact that he got right in my face before yeah. I whacked him, they could see he was aggressive in his demeanour yeah. <clears throat> and his stance and we soon left, you know, went to another hotel, down the bar and watched, watched some sport on the screens,
1: yeah. I'm going to explain to the people listening to this actually that you gave me a list, although I will explain it at the start, at the yeah. start of my preamble. You gave me a list of things. So what I'm doing is just picking from the ones that leapt out at me. Mm. And actually I could have just sat here and uh, we'd be here for like three yeah. days otherwise. I mean,
0: it's, it's chapters from a book I yeah. started writing about yeah, myself. Absolutely. Um, so I thought it'd be easier to have a peruse through that and see what you think
1: without, <clears> without <throat> a doubt. Cause you were going to, you, you were thinking the provisional title, Urban Command, was it Urban Commando?
0: Yeah. I th- Someone gave, put that in my head and said that's what it should be. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'll call it, but um that's a possibility. Once yeah. I, you know, once I get it finished. Yeah.
1: No, I like yeah. that. So,
0: <laughs> so, I, so I want to ask you about what
1: number twenty-one. It, it, feel, it feels like crime bingo at the moment, but um,
0: <laughs> springing gangsters from jail. Oh, yeah. There's a uh, an idiot, big drug dealer exeter and he had a little gang around him, and you know, he had lots of money. He was. A Fairly big, substantial drug dealer, well known around the city and um, up country and places, and he basically ripped off some heavy dudes from London, and I would I would say they're proper gangsters, right? Yeah, very well connected, lots of dollar. Yeah, they got proper weapons and like machine guns, automatic stuff. They got well tooled up. You know, now
1: when you say <coughs> proper weapons, mm. what what? Weapons that people have in the west country because because you know, what country people think, Oh, axes, yeah, you know, well, they got a pitchfork. Because I but it's yeah. not, is
0: it? Well, I mean, there are more weapons and guns around now than there ever has been. But you know, back going back then, it, it, a few guns maybe, but knives, okay, and that, axes were my favorite thing, and, and hammers, yeah, you know. <laughs> but um, these were real gangsters, they had a couple of boozy machine guns, grenades, wow. um, a couple of. Pistol sidearms, I can't remember what they were, but they were tooled up. But this bloke I know, who I was doing a bit of work for years ago, he did a big drug deal and ripped them off. Right. I'm not paying you. Fuck off, he's down the phone, and blah, blah. When I was How speaking to him. How much money would that have been? 60, 61 grand. That's a lot. But it, it's enough. Yeah. But I know he'd done bigger deals of hundreds of thousands sure. at some point.
1: Yeah.
0: But they were more about principle. Yeah. So anyway, they ended up coming down and kidnapped him. And it was a big thing around the city on a Saturday morning. They kidnapped him. <clears throat> they were connected to a professional boxer. I won't name him. but sure. A well-known professional boxer you see on the telly. You would have seen him. They came down in his car. And they lifted this bloke, extra bloke, at gunpoint and whisked him away. Now, the book is kidnapped, but at a... A little, his little mate always together they were close friends back then and this guy who followed them the gangsters around the city and then he followed them up the motorway so his mates in the back of the car they, I know because they told me later they had him stuffed down in a footwell they were sat on him had his, their feet on him wow. um, and they were going up the motorway and this guy was, was following them and he rang the police and said look my mate John has been kidnapped they got weapons they obviously said they've got machine gun and whatever. So, I mean, I've read the statements from uh, these, these gangsters, as we call them. I've read the statements after this, but they go up the motorway, police helicopter over above the car. Then you've got loads of police cars, armed police coming up in a sort of, in a parade, keeping the traffic back and getting some distance so they can pull them in. They put all their weapons in a, a big rock sack. Gave them to this bloke, and they stopped on the motorway, turfed him, and the and the bag of guns out, and sped off. And the police managed to catch him up, intercept them, and they all got arrested. And this local bloke grassed them all up, and I was so shocked to to find out he was a big grass, right, okay. massive grass. And for a three or five day period, they kept him in a safe house in an accident in the motorway. And for the three or five day period, they they've got statements out of him about these well known connected gangsters because Scotland Yard have been after these blokes for a long time, could never get anything to stick. Right. But now they had the chance. So you had this serious crime squad down here, connected with extra police, you know, gunning for these blokes, getting this big statement out of them. What they did. I actually didn't know, but me, my, my so-called mate was a drug addict. And the police kept him fed with drugs and heroin and crack cocaine over a five-day period, or three-day period, to keep him happy, to give out these, like, pages and pages and pages of statements against these blokes. Wow. They were in remand in an ACAT nick. They were in Exeter, first of all, but later changed to an ACAT, and they went up by arm police to a Bell Mart or somewhere. Oh, okay. But anyway... I didn't like it that my my so-called mate had grassed him up because he brought it on himself. Yeah. I've seen this chap batter other people who were meant to be grasses but he's a grass himself. He was a super grass then. Mm. Anyway, after a couple of years of them being on my man they went to court. They got sentenced to 16 years each. So, it didn't take long for these gangsters family and friends to get with of what was going on and somehow they got hold of me and some very serious men come down the exit to meet me in the puffin' billy. Um, we chatted in there about five hours. They basically wanted to know if I can help because I'm known as a fixer sure. and a bit of a doer. So um, they offered me untold wealth. Believe me, they offered me some big bucks. I devised a plan that I'd find out where this chap was in hiding. He was in a safe house for a long time. And basically, I got him to retract his statement. This took a long time. He retracted the statement. And I got him to explain to me what had happened. And we said a few different things, which changed the outcome. And the fact that he was under the influence of drugs, heroin, and crack cocaine. Yeah. The police were given him over this 3 and 5 day period. He then signed the statement... I got him to sign it, and I got a witness to it. Then I told the, one of the dads I got the statement, look. I mean, it took a few years to do. And then the next day, um, some fancy bloke come down in a big drag, came to my place, picked the statement up that was all signed, and off he went. The very next day, Sherry Blair, Tony Blair's wife, a partner of hers... Oh, forgetting But a partner of hers was this big top barrister. She sent down, like, um, one of her doers to meet me with another statement to say, right to this chap, did you make this new statement of your own free will? And he signed it. Yes, I did. They took that back and it took up another four or five months. Went to the Court of Appeal in London and they all got out. Charges dropped. And matey rang me. They rang me for the Court of Appeals They got released. Mate, John, we're out, we're out. We effing owe you big time. We owe you so much. Anyway, and I went up to London several times on a few jollies. They promised me, I mean, they took me shopping, bought me loads of stuff, you know, to bring back here. They promised me big money, big money. And eventually um, they like stopped communicating so often. And, and I, I, I asked what was happening with the money you promised me? Anyway, they, they didn't pay me. So I, I made threats on the, on the phone to them. And they, and they said, do you know who you're fucking with? I said, listen, I don't give a fuck who you are. Do you think I'm sat on a bale of egg crunching a carrot? Yeah. I said, if I can spring six blokes from a prison on my own, you think what else I can do on my own? I said, you know where I live. If you're going to fulfill your threats, I can come down. And I never heard them again i 've been to London several times to try and locate them because they owe me, yeah, and more important than that i want to'd re- like to reach out to their dads and their associates to say, Do you remember me because I got your sons and your mates out of a sixteen year sentence, and the money they promised on their behalf that you 're going to give me they never did they bumped me, and I believe these guys. Uh, not the ones who are sentenced but the ones who come to see me I reckon they're very serious men yeah. and hopefully men of principle and I believe they should come back and see it from my point of view what I did and the steps I took to get them out of, You know, I'd love, I want my money or oh, I want to be able to confront them all and, and say my bit I mean I had so much pressure from the police I had a lot of big heavy cops pulling me over giving me shit what am I doing helping get these blokes out of prison you know, you don't know who they are, what they've done. They're bad, bad criminals. We've been trying to get them locked up for years and you aren't doing all the good work. And my attitude was, they got grassed up by a wrong one yeah. who brought it all on himself, you know? Yeah. And you, you cops went about it the wrong way. You plied him with drugs for three or five days in a safe house to get shit out of him. And he basically said what you wanted him to say. That's why I did it. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, I imagine the police can put a lot of pressure on people, can't they? Yeah, yeah, they're, they can. They're yeah. highly skilled at what they
0: do. I'm definitely, assuming. definitely. Yeah. But yeah, but but that's that's what happened there, you know. And I'm almost proud of it, what I did, because I felt it was a very unjustified case, yeah. you know. And so the cops were unscrupulous, but then it's a shame it turned out that the blokes I sprung turned out to be assholes, you know. Well, it's interesting actually
1: because everything that you told me, it feels like in your in your mind, yeah, has been completely justified because it's been the right thing to do. Am I, am I, yeah. am I right in, yeah. in saying that? Yeah. So, in which case, you can't, you, if it's the right thing and you know it's the right thing without sort of giving you a leading question here, um, does that mean that you don't feel bad about any of it?
0: Bad from what direction?
1: Well, I don't know. I'm just, sort of, I'm trying to think about, do you regret, do you have any
0: regrets? I mean, supposedly? no, I mean, I, I regret not because like when it all happened, I thought, I had "Balls!" Uh, and I threw the number and address away and everything. I wish I kept that because you know I would have gone up and we would have had it off, or I'd have had my money. But I'm I don't regret doing what I did because some of the tactics from the police were unfair. And like I said, you know, it, to me it's a bit of principle that this 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 grass there. I'd, I'd brought it all on himself and then got six blokes' life ruined. You know, I mean, when I went back to meet to London before it went sour, the bloke he introduced me to his family and his kids. And I met his wife for the first time. And we went and came into his house up in London and got down on his knees, hugged his daughter and he went to his door. This man gave daddy his life back. And his wife was all emotionally upset and cuddled me. And, you know, they couldn't do enough for me at the time. Sure. Yeah. And I remember going around to London that weekend, they were introducing me to a lot of big people. I was like shit and a lot of people in the boxing world and without a shadow of a doubt I was in a situation where I could have if I was ever a drug dealer that's where I could have met some big names and got involved in big stuff and I didn't I sometimes wish I I tried it you know (laughs) what money wise (laughs) yeah yeah definitely yeah and
1: and status as well I'm
0: guessing Um, well only status as I know that These people are... The the serious players at the top end are are reliable. They're they're not plastic gangsters. They're they're real dudes with with real money and real principles and morals. Okay. That's what I like. The respect they showed me for what I'd done on my own to spring six of their sons and associates out of Nick. What was your relationship with the police like then? Because because at this this point then, I
1: know eventually you... the the career cu- came to an end you now mentioned that you do d- different things mm. photography great mm. brilliant. very interesting actually and you sort of mentioned that that the police changed as well in their approach to yeah. crime can you tell <clears> me <throat> about that
0: well I mean I, I remember being in town and getting stopped by plainclothes police asking me what I'm doing outside so like, of oh, boots alright Johnny fucking hell mate what are you doing you're, you're fucking this case up and then getting pulled over by a plain car, it was a, a maestro, do you remember, was it maestro, maestro, Leyland's car, yeah, right? yeah. this old, little orange maestro, pulled me up, at Old Tiverton Road, and I thought, who's this frick, and it was just, I got out, it was a cop I recognised, and he come over to my window, oh sorry mate, I've been trying to get over to see you, he said, John, what are you doing, these guys, they're serious men, you don't know what they're like, he said, I was in Scotland, yeah, I've been trying to lock them up for years, he said, you're going to ruin this, you're going you're to get them out, I said, that's my intentions, I said this guy was called wait Chris Riggs he was called it's copper. I said, that's what I'm going to do, Chris. I said, because so and so if it makes you grass them up is a is a wrong one. All the people he's bad because they've been a grass, and he's a big grass himself. I said, and you blokes aren't pretty aren't clean you you bent some rules to get the statements out of them I mean, and I had several like confrontations like that, but you know you just I don't, you know i'll give my case back you know and I did you know I, another time in town, I got stopped, searched you know, and like they were radio and obviously they were obviously talking about me and what they want to do with me. They kept me there for forty minutes and then they let me go. I think it's just a bit of harassment, you know, but they didn't like it, and I mean I, in some ways i don't blame them, but you know that's that's the way the cookie crumbles.
1: One thing that I know went to court and don't want to talk about I understand but a guy attached you with acid.
0: Yeah. We had a fallout over a few reasons, and it was quite a nasty fallout. You know, I'd ring him up, or we would ring me. I don't drink, but he'd ring me when he's pissed up, giving it the big one. Sure. Let's meet. So he said, let's meet atop of Olden Woods on mm. the motorway. you meet me so-and-so later on at 2 o'clock. Okay, I said. So I went there at 2 o'clock. He never showed. Right. And we had a couple of times of, you know... On the phone. Yeah, he always wanted to meet, have a fight and settle it. So I, I always went there, wherever the location was. And he never, ever showed. And I remember seeing him once at a travel lights downtown. I reached him through his window. No, I was at the lights. So I jumped out, ran over. Bang, went in, punched him. He sped off. I chased him for miles. We drove like a couple of idiots. He's a good driver, Christ. Anyway, eventually we come back from this camping place I've been talking. And he's on the phone to me. You know, I want to meet up. We want to have her off. I said, You'd never show. I will show. I will be there. I said, Right, I will come down. swore sworn some of his life. I'll be there. So I dropped the family and the wife home and I sped down to the bomb of St. Thomas's in my van outside the Sawyer's pub. To my surprise, he was there. I thought, Let's get it on, you bastard. And I thought he's either pissed up or if he's had on coke. As it happens, it was a bit of both. So I pulled him beyond the pub in his gouges. jumped up my van. I was only wearing shorts because it was the hottest day of the year in August. And as I got out of the van, he's running down towards me. And I'm thinking, at last, you bastard, let's get it on. And as he's coming closer, I could see something in his hand. And look, he looked like a yellow tennis ball. As he got closer... I still feel it's a tennis ball. So I'm stood in the... You, know, you know, I've got no weapons. I'm there to fight with fists. As he's running close to me, he gets like 15 foot and just stops and swings this yellow thing at me. And what it was was a Jif Lemon squeezy. Wow. And he just squeezes liquid all over me. And it was cold. And I'm like, what the fuck? I hope I'm not surrounded much. No, no, not at so. Anyway, this cold liquid soon got warm and hot. And then... Burnt me, excruciating pain. Really and I, as he's spraying me, he's saying, I'm gonna blind you. How are you gonna fight me when you're blind? Say goodbye to kid, you'll never see him again. So instinctively I will dropped on the floor in a little ball and I'm rolling around like a dustweed, you know, and I'm screaming like a girl because it hurts.
1: Yeah of course yeah. it
0: hurts. And I'm you know, I'm covered in scars. You know Limey, yeah. Um on my head, one side there. Yeah, yeah. And um, you can see the scar, Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, um, these tattoos would have covered the cover scars up. So I'm defending my face with my forearms and hands, and this actually is ripping me to bits. And it's so painful. All of a sudden, he stopped spraying it. And all of a sudden, the pain stopped. And now, because he's got nothing left, I'm able to get up. And as he starts to back off i th- I'm sure I can't remember it, but I'm sure he had a knife on him yeah, something you know I anyway, for whatever reason, I went into my van and grabbed a shovel in there's a big axe, shit, I pulled that out, and I chase after him, and I'm s- catching him and swinging at his head. I mean I'd lost the plot a bit, yeah, and then we he goes behind a car, so I'm chasing him around this car, swinging it across the roof, trying to hit him and he breaks away and runs down towards his, all his mates outside the sawyers, and I'm gaining ground and he's running real quick and then in like slow motion as it, it got into slow motion and as he's running and sprinting his arms are going up and down up and down and as his right arm went up in slow motion I swung his axe and it caught him right under the arm severing his main artery wow and it went, yeah, it was a big started spraying everywhere, and as he was, he he was running towards his mate, and he slipped on some gravel, and his arms were up in the air, and it started spraying blood. And I thought, oh shit, he's in trouble here, and so am I. And he's screaming, "I'm dying, I'm dying!" And he he didn't think about keep his arm down, keep the vein closed. His arms are flapping, and it's spraying everywhere. And it is, you know, shit. It's a lot of blood pumping out. And when it's dark, blackish looking blood, you know it's from a in main artery. Anyway, he's screaming said a girls are screaming, men are screaming at the commotion and he's screaming, I'm dying! John go did this to me. He's killed me, I'm gonna John go did it, him there Anyway, he's screaming, I've been chopped. I've been chopped like with the axe. Yeah. The way he's saying it, I've been chopped, I've been shot, I've been shot. It's sounding like he's been shot. Right. Okay. So as he's shouting this out, people in the flats above are hearing the commotion. They're hearing the men and women screaming. They'd heard me scream Yeah a minute ago or forty seconds ago. They'd heard me screaming for my pain. Anyway, so he's they're making I know the police said they are like you know, thirty odd phone calls. Some most of them saying there's been a shooting, someone's been shot. Yeah. Not chopped. I walked back up to my van. I get in it and I drive past slowly, thinking they'll just be—they won't see me. They'll be him on the ground. As I'm driving past slowly, I'm sunk down in my seat. He's screaming, "Him in the white van, John Gould! He dropped me! He dropped! Me! I'm dying!" And I thought, "Shit!" Then people see the van, so I just gun it down Carrick Street. And I get to the lights and I'm stuck behind cars and I think, "I saw this," so I just drive through the red lights and I start urinating. Luckily, I had a full bladder. and I mean, this all happened within just over a minute, this period I'm talking sure, about. Yeah. And I'm spraying urine in my hand and hands, and I'm washing in it as I'm driving. Right. And because I had, you know, what you see on my arms and legs, I could have had on my face. In the sunlight, and when I've had a tan, you can see some of the marks up here. And if I had not, you know, had the presence of mind to know that urine cancels out. Um, acid I would have been A lot My face would have been Pretty much affected So You know I, I say I pretty much I say I saved my face On top of my forehead And stuff In my ear area From a uh, Render scarring And as I'm driving across At X Bridges It doesn't take long For the sirens To come everywhere Armed police are Gunning for that, that Location of the Sawyer's Arms And I Remember Parking up somewhere Near town I dumped my van a friend came to pick me up in his car. It had leather seats in the back, and where I was laid, and I was where I wasn't able to cover my legs and my back with urine, that I still had fresh acid on it, and it, I ruined his seats. Yeah. And that was it. And you know, I wasn't going to ring the police and say what happened, but I had to go to hospital, so I run myself an ambulance. I got picked up and taken in, and it didn't take long because obviously the police would have said to the hospitals, watch out for anybody coming in with, with burns or injuries. And the police came out to the hospital and, and they sort of put me under guard. I went, the RDE had a brand new burns unit in a massive shower room. And I was the first person to ever use it. And when they showered me down, because it, 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 of the flooring was the wrong level, yeah. it flooded out a massive part of the hospital. But yeah, anyway, cut long story shot. I never made any statements. I went no comment. And, this idiot grassed me up, and when we went back to answer bail, like seven months later, they arrested me and charged me with serious violent charge. And I thought, shit. They read me through his statements. And I thought, and he grassed me up. He said I had the acid. I went. <sighs> to, he said I went to squirt him, and it came out of my arms when all of myself. I mean, he spit a bit on himself, and when he was being. Off in the ambulance, uh, the fumes like affected his eyes, and he made such a commotion. The ambulance stopped in the middle of the road under armed guard to take care of him as he was kicking off. His buddy's baby, really. I thought, if he's gr- if he's grassing me up and bullshitting his side of it, I'm not gonna take the rap and say nothing. So I thought, I'm gonna tell the truth here because I'm gonna face, I'm not getting done for it all and lied about. So I told the truth to the police, told him the truth. And it didn't take him long to establish that what I said was the truth. And then there was a massive court case about it. And he used to drink and do drugs. And the day before court, you know, he's obviously on one. And he turned up the court looking a right mess, looking terrible. And then he had a an armed siege at his house on the Sunday before the Monday court session. And he got arrested. And he he was produced up in Crown Court um, in cuffs. And he looked bad where he'd been sprayed with... Uh, the police, the, the spray they use, he was, eyes were bloodshot and, and everything. And then he, then it was c- counselled for a while and then he eventually goes out together, he turned up at court, he was pleading not guilty, I pled guilty right from the get-go because I, I was charged in the end with violent disorder. And even if you're present, you're guilty. Yeah. So there's no way I could have got not guilty. So I pled guilty straight away because I, I would have been found guilty. But I had to stay there while he went through his motions, and he was just sat there reading the book, and the judge didn't like that also when we were both in court, the police presence you know to keep us apart if we kicked off there was I know it sounds a bit exaggerated, but there was like thirty to forty police officers you know just there for anything It was crazy and and the judges costing thousands to produce us in the court. So what he decided to do was separate us and deal with us different times. So eventually, I went to court on my own and I pled guilty. I got given some time off because I pleaded guilty early, and I received just a short custodial sentence. Thankfully, just I think it was 12 months, and I ended up doing six. I mean, I was lucky. He didn't. He had a bit of an arrogant attitude, and I think he got 18 months and did the lot. He was yeah. kicking off. And luckily, we didn't get done. For the violence, we dished out on each other. We didn't get done for that. We just got done for causing a disturbance, the violent disorder. So we, it could have gone much uglier. And then one day, as I'm driving past the probation office on my bike, I seen him going into the probation office. He just got out of prison. So I walked or I ran up to him because he was telling people we've got unfinished business. And no, we, he started it and I finished it. I had the last blow and that's important to me. So I said, you've been telling people we've got unfinished business. So have we? I've not said that. What are you going to do about it? Because I don't know what you're saying. He went, what do you want to do about it? I said, let me tell you, if this don't finish, one of us is going to be festering in the ground and one of us is going to be doing life sentence and I'm not going to be in the ground. He said, oh, he started mumbling. So, what do you want to do about it? I said, listen... I don't say his name, but I said, listen, you started this and I finished it. I said, so as far as I'm concerned, if you shut up, that's the end of it. You know, mate, I've said nothing. I said nothing. I said, well, there has to be the end of it then. He said, really? Really? I said, yeah, of course that's to be the end of it. He was like surprised I said that. I said, you know, but don't forget you started and I finished it. But that's it now and stop saying your shit. And he held his hand out and I shook it. And that was it. And I thought, you know, we've got to be a gentleman about it because it's done and dusted. We both fucked up in some respects. But to me, it was the fact that he started it and I finished it. And it's well and truly over and it's done. Yeah, I mean, we're friendly enough now. And actually, you know, he's not a bad bloke, really. He's funny. He can have a laugh. Yeah. He's a bit of a bullshit at times, but... Well... Yeah, that's in the past. And and it has to be because this city is very small. If you hold a grudge... It will not take long to bump into him and things get ugly. And no, it's done. And like I say, it's important to me that though we started it, I finished it and I had the last blow.
1: I respect the fact that it ended with a handshake. I don't know why. Yeah, I, up, but I, I, I don't.
0: Do. Uh, it wasn't my plan, um, but that's the way it turned out. And I think that's the way it turned out for the better, really. Is Because, you see, you hear that and it's a fascinating story. And obviously
1: people then your reputation sort of builds and, and people hear that sort and they'll go, That is just absolutely amazing. Mm. You know, I work ni- they'll go, Well, I work nine to five in an office. <laughs> yeah. What's life like now? Is it how does it compare?
0: Well, I mean I, not long after I like, acid into it. I mean the amount of people who obviously heard about it and were speaking about it sure. and you yeah, get lots of ass kisses wanting to shake me hand and I mean, even some people I went I was a bit younger then. I was at a nightclub, and this bloke, who I respect, came over and shut me out and kissed it. And I thought, "Oh, Jesus Christ, what are you, you, know, what are you doing?" But you know, I, I'm used to that. You get a lot of ass kisses, and that's just the way it is. I mean, and I still get people on the phone or putting letters in the box that they want something sorted. They want somebody sorted. Um, listen, I'm, I'm, I can I can say all the, the years, the last ten years, I've tried to stop doing things. And really, if it makes sense, you know, I'm retired from it now, really, because yeah. I couldn't handle another sentence. It would finish me off. Yeah. And I'm, I'm that bit much more mature and wiser, you know?
1: Yeah, and that goes a long way yeah. in whatever you do I, in
0: life. And when, I'm, when I make mistakes, I'm happy to say, sorry, mate, my mistake is my hand. I enjoy that. It sounds strange, but, you know, if I make a mistake, I'm happy to go, shit, sorry, my my mistake, I'm really sorry.
1: Yeah. And so, so people don't know, no one has anything to worry about. Yeah, they? yeah. Really, if, if they're, they're all right to you, you're all right to them. Yeah. Can you give me one piece of advice? Because obviously I'm going to meet, uh, if you would, I'm going to be meeting various people. Yeah. For all walks of life you've been on, you know. Um, what, can you give me a piece of advice as to how I should speak to people?
0: Speak to people you wish to be spoken to, you know, okay. and treat people with respect, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And it's like, like That's it's what never, I'm aiming for. Yeah, never underestimate people. Uh, no, th- that's the thing.
1: Well, well, good and bad. I think it's yeah. easy to. I think it's easy to um, to assume because someone has led a certain life that they're going to be a certain way. Yeah. And the more I look into it, the more that actually, no, you know, as Dave Courtney keeps telling me, <clears throat> no, no, they are as as incredible as a story might be, as incredible mm. as someone's life might be. At the end of it, mm. you know. You're a man, Same yeah. as everybody else, yeah. and, and that's what I'm struggling. Well, not struggling. Yeah. That's
0: what I'm getting in my head around. Yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a rotten childhood. My parents were bad, you know, and there was no affection and you know niceties in my childhood. So, as a young boy and a young man, I always wanted a family of my own and children on my own house yeah. and a wife, a long-term wife, one wife, and I've got all of it. And to me, family is everything. You know, family's everything. You know, that's how it should be. And I you know, and I, I, like to think uh, uh, the family man I am makes up for how, how bad my childhood was. You know, it's a shame I missed out on my childhood, really. It was a pretty you know, rotten one. And I always remember when my son was born, <clears throat> I thought, God, how could my parents do the things to me that they did? Because you know, when my son came out, I thought, wow, it's my son, my pride. And, you know... Yeah, it's strange. But yeah, I, I pride myself on my family life and being a dad and a husband. We have our rows now and again. But who doesn't? But yeah, in the family life, you know, it's good.
1: Yeah, and that is a lovely place to leave it. Thank you very yeah,
0: much. Yes, thank you. That, that,
1: that's perfect. That was amazing. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I found that conversation fascinating. And of course, thanks to John Gould for being such great company. I know we only scratched the surface, John, but I... Hope that we meet again sometime. Good luck with the book. If the people listening, if you could share this on social media, I would really appreciate it. Tell your friends about it because this is independently produced. It's me. So I'm really relying upon the goodwill of people to share these extraordinary stories. I have more interviews coming up and I just can't wait. I look forward to every Sunday just so I can post a new one. Each one has been different and it's been a thoroughly enjoyable journey that I hope will continue for a very long time so thanks again and I will speak to you all again take care bye for now